Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something, people. I'm a little I'm a little pissed off because this past Sunday, I'm watching my Philadelphia Eagles because, you know, I'm a huge fan. And I'm watching the game, and it's on Fox. And it's great because usually when they're on, me and the lovely Joanne have to go down to uh, the Black Angus right here in Burbank. And I go down there usually. And it's great because i got my own TV. But it's still, you, you might get some Raider fan or just some annoying fans and people hating Philadelphia. So finally, it's on home. It's on the regular TV. So I'm sitting there in front. We're watching it. Eagles are kicking ass. About four minutes into the uh, third quarter, they, they, they say, hey, we're switching to a more competitive game because the Eagles are up 24 nothing." Well, they don't know the Eagles, and they don't know Philadelphia sports because we blow everything. So finally, me and Joanna are like, we got to see this game. So we get up. I'm wearing just a T-shirt and jeans. She's, she doesn't even makeup on. She has to go switch into jeans. We get down to Black Angus. We watch the game. Now, the game ends. The Redskins go bring it back. Last drive of the game. Griffith throws an interception. The game they replaced it for, Pittsburgh versus Detroit, Pittsburgh won by 10. So screw you, Fox. You should have never changed a damn TV. And now I'm pissed off because I wanted to watch it at home. Anyway, enough about that. <laughs> right, we, we have, uh, we have uh, Bill Dawes. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing very good. It's funny. I got to tell you about my guests. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't know your name really. And then you follow me on Twitter somehow. I don't even yeah. know how. And then so I followed you back and I checked out your, your thing. And that's when I, I sent you a message on Twitter about uh-huh. you on my show. And at the time, you were out of town you were going to I was in New York yeah and I was back in in New Jersey visiting my girlfriend and I told her and of course I go and I check out the resume and this is no lie the next day my girlfriend loves Ion TV your Criminal Minds episode was on oh really and I'm sitting there going wait I go Joanne wait I'm like wait I think because I I see your picture I go what the hell and I go oh my god it's talking to a guy about being on my show that's so funny so now you're from Virginia you said yeah now which part I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. Oh, so you're right near D.C.? Yeah, right near D.C. There used to be a comedy club. It used to be Garvin's. It used to be... Uh, Garvin's? Years ago. That was that was a big club in D.C. In D.C., yeah. And, but they had one in Alexandria, which was it was in the Holiday Inn or the Days Inn right across... <laughs> because I remember playing there because Dave Chappelle was the MC. I was a wow. feature. And two out of three shows... And, you know, you do comedy. When you're a feature, you never get smoked. He smoked me two out of three shows so bad. I was, like, nervous, like, the next night going on following him. because Why just, was he em- – because he was, like – He was 16. Famous. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say, he, he got famous yeah, at, like, 18. When, when he so. first started out, he was yeah, like yeah, – and yeah. he was so good. And I just remember. But it's such a hip area because there was also a place called the uh, the Chameleon or something like that. This is years ago. Yeah. But so now you grew up in Alexandria. Yeah. Now, now when you were a kid – now, did you play sports? I did. I was a big uh, – I was a I was a jock, guys. I was um, I played soccer my whole life, and uh, I played football, ran track. I went to a school called T.C. Williams. There's a movie, Remember the Titans. Did you ever yes, see yes. It? I haven't seen it. I know them. Yeah, that was my high school. I okay. mean, they shot it in Georgia, so it looks very country, but it was it was like a very public public school. And uh, so I played the football team. I was one of two white people on an all-black football team. It was okay. very kind of, yeah. I kind of grew up in the, in the weird mix that Northern Virginia is, which is like totally – City and a lot of country too. Well, it's know. weird because I think I think uh, Marymount College is in Alexandria. I think Marymount College, or it's right around there, I don't, or South Falls Church. I don't know. My sister was a uh, housing director there. Yeah, yeah. But, so, so you were a jock in high school, but did you have any interest in acting or comedy? None, none at all. I, you know, I, I was kind of, um, I was a shy kid, and I was, uh, I had really bad uh, um, speech impediments growing up. I think I think a lot of people perform have some sort of like yeah, I'm legally blind to one eye and I, it took me for years I make fun of it on stage it used to bother me but now I'm like I don't give a crap yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. in fact in my act I say you know I'm bald I'm blind to one eye but I have a really hot girlfriend so <laughs> every guy you have hope out there <laughs> yeah exactly that's so- so what was your speech pattern? Was it a lisp? Or was I, had it- a, I had really, I mean, part of it was a little Southern. I had some Southern roots. And then uh, 
but it was it was beyond that. It was uh, I had some severe vocal constriction too, where I, I couldn't really talk, and I would and I had this like this, and I was supposed to talk like this. You know? Okay. Um, so people thought I was stupid my whole life. You know, I, isn't that I, weird? It's yeah. like it's so weird just from the way you talk. I mean, not like if you're spewing double negatives, it's one thing, but by your tone, <laughs> that people actually can think you're. It just amazes me. Yeah, and so and, and not like they thought I was stupid my whole life. Based on I always got like good grades. Um, you know, I was I was pretty much a straight A student, but but meeting me or hearing me out or whatever, people would just go, "Oh, you're kind of you're stupid." And then I went I went to college at Princeton. You went to Princeton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that what were your SATs? I mean, they were okay. They weren't like you know fifteen hundred. They How were maybe you get in like. There? But they were good. They were like maybe fourteen hundred. No, because no, because the funny thing I answered is because I went to Cherry Hill East and uh, okay. in New Jersey, and we had a really good academic school. Yeah. But what was amazing was I mean MIT, Harvard, Penn. No one, like one guy, this football player, got into Princeton. Yeah. No yeah, one yeah. got. No one from our town got into. Princeton. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I, here's here's the, tr- the real story of it because it's, it's less impressive than than you think because. Uh, like I said, my high school was very, very public high school. I joke my my high school was seventy percent black and thirty percent terrified. Okay. And um, I had two older brothers who were who were who were geniuses. I mean, my two older brothers are two of the smartest people I know, and they were both number one in high school. And uh, my English teacher wrote an article about the fact that look what these colleges do. They 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 accept, you know, they harvest people from Deerfield and all these academies, and then you have brilliant kids. From public schools who get near perfect SATs, number one in their class, like Don Dawes and Jim Dawes, and they don't get in because neither of my brothers got in. To Princeton. To Princeton, yeah. Okay. So the where next, they, where'd they end up going? Uh, they went. Well, they went to Penn. Okay. One went to Penn. Went to Cornell. Okay. So, so they're all still Ivy League, but it's yeah, just yeah, weird yeah. how schools do that. But you know, and and my parents, neither of my parents, you know, my mom didn't go to college. My dad went to like a, a state school, and so we didn't have money. We didn't, we didn't have any like pedigree. Um, but my brothers were are just crazy geniuses, and I'm not. But they uh, because they both got rejected. My English teacher wrote that article in the Washington Post. The next year, I got in. That's cool though. And then you get there, you realize, you know, the first six months, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm here. And then the six, next three years, you're like, I can't believe he's here. I can't believe that guy's here. Well, the funny thing about Princeton is, and I, I had a buddy of mine who was like an older brother who played football for them for like two years. He was a yeah. running back, and. We went up there to see a Penn Princeton game or one of the Ivy League games, and what blew my mind was we were driving up, and you know we were Eagles fans, and we know the mm-hmm. tailgating of Philly, you know mm-hmm. the cheesesteaks and that. Man, we go to the Princeton tailgating, and it's like, and that's like this is this we're talking probably this is uh, the late '80s, so it was a, just the greed was around, you know, yeah, yeah, and just I mean the food spread, and we were drinking. 14 year old scotch and just yeah, like yeah, yeah. where you're like oh my god they're like rack a lamb instead of thing it was just amazing because it's, it's a great school yeah yeah well one the one the i don't know if it's an urban lift myth or something that is actually true but i always heard years ago when i was in college that the number one that the top three drinking events in the world are oktoberfest i think it was indy 500 and then princeton reunions okay by volume or something like that. I don't well, know. And, sure. then, and then they changed the rules for Oktoberfest and or Daytona 500. So then it was like Princeton was apparently the number number two drinking weekend in the world That's in terms of awesome. like volume of alcohol because they're all rich drunks who you know hate themselves. So yeah. So you went. To, what was your major? Engineering. So okay. Now you you go. Do you finish? Yeah. Okay. Now. Now, at what point does the comedy or the, any of the acting come in? Because, I mean, you're going to be on Broadway. It's not like, I mean, it's, just, it's weird yeah, yeah, that you yeah. don't hear about, you know, I mean, I've talked to some, a lot of guests, how people, you know, went took theater. And, What's you know, their, yeah, And when, we're, when you're older, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 50, and when you're older, 
there wasn't big people didn't do theater back then. But so you so you graduate Princeton with a degree in engineering. Yeah, and, and when you know one of the one of the cool things about Princeton is because they have so much uh, endowment that. They just have money that they can give to students for, oh, you want to do a, a play? You want to put up a, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um, we had a really great theater program. Little, you know, we had really smart people and really great um, theaters to work at. And so I, I did a lot of theater and dance. And while you are in college? While I was in college. So, but what, what made you want to do it? Just, it was well, actually, the, the thing that started it was probably I was in high school and I was signing up for all my, I was doing aerospace engineering and I was signing up for all my classes. My brother's girlfriend said, if you want to get laid, you better sign up for, for you know, a, a good class right. outside of that. So it's like, well, what, what will get me laid? Right. Try try acting. That's probably where the hot chicks are going to be there because everyone else is going to be like an Asian engineer. So I signed <laughs> for acting basically just to, meet, just to meet girls or just to do something kind of outside the box. And I'd never really had much of an interest. I was always a class clown and a goofball. And I did a lot of physical comedy because I couldn't really talk and I wasn't really um, articulate. So <laughs> I, w I was the guy who was always like falling down in class. And 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 uh, I used to be a, a break dancer. I used to break dance for money. Oh, really? You know? See, that's cool. I, I, one, I my one friend Paul Valente in college could break dance, and I just I sucked at it. He said there he'd be like <laughs> he would pop, and we'd be like, wow, yeah, man, yeah, we yeah. wish we could do that. And we'd try, and we'd be like scrape our back. You know, it's like a, <laughs> yeah. there's a hole in my shirt. You're supposed to put yeah, cardboard yeah, yeah. down. So you so were doing it. So you so were getting the feel of performing. Then. So so uh, yeah, I was I was. You know, I, I guess I was a professional or some professional break dancer. I would, I would enter competitions and make money and do stuff like that. So, um, I mean, that was when I was like much younger. But then when I got to, to to college, I realized that I still had that kind of ability to do a lot of really kind of like Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton type of like, and even kind of Jim Carrey stuff. But I, I hadn't developed any stand up routine at all. So, um, but I started acting. And I was I was good in the sense that like I didn't have a lot of inhibition, okay. And I had a lot of like rah, rah, emotion, but I mean you probably couldn't understand a word I said, you know. <laughs> I still had to work on like my, my language, and then um, and then when, when my senior year, I was I, I I went for a job interview at Nassau. I went for job interviews on Wall Street, and I had a briefcase that my dad bought me. I had a suit, and they also applied to grad schools for acting. And I got into NYU. Okay. And then, and I, I just knew when I was at these job interviews, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I really, I, I literally could care. I, I was on, uh, a, a, I think it was like, I don't know, Morgan Lehman Brothers. Mor okay. Or yeah. Morgan the Lehman Stanley, Brothers, Morgan Stanley, they're all the same. They're all one and two. But I remember they asked me, said, why do you want to be involved in, you know, in stocks? And I started saying an answer that I literally had heard someone say before. Like I was Carlos Mencia in it. I was like, uh, I want to be in stocks because I, um, you know, I just like the idea of the future of, of the right. world. And I literally at one point I just stopped. And I said, I don't know, man. I just I, I just knew right then. I was like, it's not for me. I well, like, I, I think it's because I had a degree in business management and I sold uh, copiers and fax machines. Yeah, yeah. And when they were hot, no one had fax. I sold the faxes. <laughs> I couldn't sell a copier because I didn't have a minivan. I had a Fiero, so that a copier would fit in. It wouldn't fit into the car. But I was sitting there and it's like, and I just started doing comedy. And, uh, and back then, I mean, it was like back east, there were so many working clubs in the Philadelphia area, you, you know, once, you know, you, you were making money. And I was just the same thing. I was like, they say cold call. Like my buddy was in the same business. I go, hey man, give me your old uh, business cards. And he'd give me a stack of business cards. And I would go home, because I'd be at the club the night before in Philly performing and drinking with my friends. I'd yeah. go home, park my car at my parents' house, <coughs> go to sleep for three hours, Walk back to the office, and there's cell, there's no cell phones. I couldn't get in touch with you, and I'd have a stack of business cards. And I'd yeah, go, yeah. Oh yeah, I got I got these contacts. I might and I'd write maybe, and it was the same thing. I just wasn't into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> so you went to NYU to for 
By the way, there's nothing more 80s than uh, Fiero, a copier, and comedy club. I know. Isn't that crazy? Those three things. Was, and so and, and I, had, uh, I had the hair long and front. It wasn't a mullet. It was feathered. It was a whole thing in that double-breasted suit. And I, would, I wouldn't dress like that. Double-breasted suit's the like, best. Like the other guys, we were like, most of them were like, they were copier guys. They were, they were copier guys, basically. You, you, most of them were just putzes, man. I yeah, said, yeah. I, it was a fax. Faxes were new. And I said I, I, I wore the double-breasted, like a shark skin suit and with a with a cool loud tie and all these other guys were like dark blue shirts and they look like <laughs> freaking dopes and you're sitting there going but yeah it was total 80s it was like total Wall Street days you know it's like yeah the, you got your American Express gold card you're like yeah <laughs> so, so you went to NYU yeah yeah and now for your masters and so you get as you're going there or do you start to get audition or you're just learning the process more or what happens yeah you, you know it's grad school for acting it's it's you know I guess it's a a, a good program I, I, have, I have mixed feelings about. I mean for me it was great because I needed to, to grow up and I needed and it was great to be in New York right you know what I mean I mean I got to be on my own in New York where'd you live uh, I moved first moved to Chelsea when okay. I got there but I moved around over th- three years I mean I was I, it's crazy when I look back I was like I was so okay with with anything like at one point I think I lived <laughs> I lived with a girl for two months like and the the arrangement was that she would let me she I would let her paint me nude Okay. To live there for for. So you were, you were you so you would you would stand there and she would paint. She would you. paint me, and of course we were kind of sleeping together. So then it was like I'm a prostitute, I guess, yeah. for these two or three months. <laughs> hey, what? So what? You're but you know, like you don't care. You're, you're like young, 21. You're, you're, you're like, like whatever, man. Um, yeah. So it was it was good to be in New York and kind of I you know grad school and acting is a very weird thing because you get in there like you're the select few that got into this amazing program da 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 and then for the next three years you're like you suck and we need to make you better and this is what we need to do and and I have mixed feelings about because I think that acting for better or for worse is really about is a, a about about doing it about getting right. on stage and doing a play and doing a production going through all the hassle working with a, a playwright director working with other uh, cast members and it's also about um, the business you know sitting around doing Chekhov and Shakespeare for, for, for two or three years like who cares right because well you're not going to do that when you get out I mean, yeah, and, you, and you may but even if you even if you do if you do if you're going to be doing at like the highest level it's because you got TV and film work so I feel like graduate school for acting should be really geared towards you know setting yourself up, up on youtube on right. twitter social media getting you know learn learning how to work with the camera right away you can still learn shakespeare and and check off and all that crap but like get camera experience because well, it's all about that you're right you know it's funny what you say about that is i have two friends one who uh was Ra- uh raul uh a planet uh and uh phantom of the opera in broadway for years and played the phantom's name's tim martin gleason and, uh, oh, I know. Yeah, I know. Tim, I know Tim. I, I met him a while ago, and he didn't go to school for it. He ended up, you know, getting a job. And then I have a friend who was, uh, um, who's the real deep voice in a uh, Lion King, Mustafa. Oh, oh buddy, uh, but no, the guy's my, his name's Mustafa. David Keith. But no, this guy, hey, my David friend, was uh, it's Gino Seegers. He did the Australian New Zealand thing, and he oh, came okay. out here. He was a, a rugby foot player, and he just had a deep voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing I think. And these guys stepped in, and once. That's the difference. Once you're in the limelight, either you suck or you're good. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think you you can't get trained to be good. It's like comedy. You can't get taught to be funny. You can have the best. You can learn how to write. You can put your act together. But if you're not funny, you're not funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, it's weird. I, 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 I've thought about that a lot. I, I think that um, I think they're a little bit different because I think with stand-up comedy, 
with stand comedy to a degree, yeah, if you're not funny, you're not funny. And you can definitely like have people write your jokes or you can steal jokes or you can kind of like spend so much time. But at the end of the day, if you're not smart, because stand-up comics are just smart right. people. They're smart people. If you're not smart, you're never going to be able to like galvanize a crowd in a way that an intelligent comic will. Oh, yeah. You'll never be able to do it. As an actor, however, you can be dumb as a load of bricks and still if you have a good voice and you say the line's right you know you, yeah that you makes can sense, still, that you, makes you, sense. You, you, I feel like both of them you can fake with acting you can fake it a little bit more not not a lot but just a little bit more I mean if you're great you're great but a lot of people can definitely fake it a lot more particularly in TV and film you know what I mean so 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 you're, you're NYU and then you're, you're mixed in the NYU feeling but you graduate I graduate and, and then and what do you do and then I just right away I just started working in theater and started doing a lot of uh my first gig was a Broadway a Broadway play that you know was kind of a disaster, and then was that um, the one with Sigourney Weaver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just saw that in your uh, <laughs> no, that must have been cool. So you were out of school not that long, and you got, yeah, I just you got, got out. on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of um, it was I mean it was teeny it was like an understudy in a teeny 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 role, so up. it wasn't like um, um, but it was yeah it was cool f- for a bit, and and um, and she was really cool to me, and and. Uh, I mean, it didn't really lead anything, you know. And 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 after that, a lot of different. Uh, I did a lot of new plays and and uh, like off off Broadway. And then what were you doing for a living? Um, that was pretty much it. I mean, one thing that I did, and this is why it's so weird. Like the the dancing, the break dancing has been such a weird godsend for me because I I right when I got out of school, I auditioned for these commercials to. Um, to break dancing commercials for a cell phone in in Spain, and I went in there, and you know I wasn't the best dancer, but I but I I booked them, and I got like five or six buyout commercials, and they were basically like like fifteen grand a spot. So you were basically so right out of school, I got like you know sixty yeah seventy five yeah, grand or whatever it was, and I go well, I was living in this apartment that was turned to co op, and they're like, hey, we're selling it for a hundred and eighty thousand dollars, and I was like, I can pay thirty percent right now. So I bought my apartment. So you bought is, your apartment. Yeah, and that has been sort of like subsidizing part of, well, yeah, know, part well, of my yeah. existence. How, how many buildings know? was it? Or was it, just, it was just your one apartment? Yeah, my one apartment. But it's like two bedroom, two bath. I get to rent it out and sort of yeah, pay the mortgage. Because you go back and, and forth a lot, yeah, yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. you probably uh, sublet it. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's made it possible for me to kind of go back and forth and, and uh, make a little bit of money here and there as a landlord. Um, See, that's cool, though. Yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah. So, so you're doing that, and you're in New York. Now, at what point do you do comedy? Because, I mean, going from theater, I mean, you have a theater, you're in Broadway, you're doing a breakdancing commercial, which right there, it's one of the most diverse things. Like, okay, here's a guy, it's, it's off Broadway, I mean, it's Broadway, but you're understudy, but you're still on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. And then other actors are probably going, well, wait, why isn't why is this guy working? You're like, hey, man, Spain, I'm the king of spin, man, electric <laughs> two boogaloo, that's me, baby. That must be, it's very, it's very diverse thing. I guess comedy just came natural, because it's, it was, it's like a try, it's like breakdancer, Broadway actor, yeah, yeah. comedy. How did, you, how did you decide you want to get into comedy? Um, I was doing um, a play, an off-Broadway play, and it was it was one of those great roles for me. It, I mean, the, the Mickey Mantle role is, is definitely like a great role for me to be playing. It's a very it's a very easy role for me to kind of like go into. I mean, th- this character was a uh, he was like a hayseed, you know, totally like, hey man, you know, I was one of these guys. I, I, and he just has like kind of funny way of talking and. Um, that's not how Mickey Mantle talks about it, but but this guy was like a very much a hayseed, and I, I'm like naked on stage. He's just like, so you're naked on stage. I'm naked on stage. You're fine with that? It, you know, it doesn't. You know, yeah, yeah. It's it's all you know. It's, I know it was ripped at the time. You know, it was all good. So um, so I'm getting all this great, great, great feedback, and um, 
and the play is kind of like not doing well but i'm getting like the best notices i've ever had in my life like this is he's the best thing on stage all these things and i have people come to see me this is the first time this happened in my career and i'm going like oh man this is this is my big break um but you know i was i, ha- I was a little immature and i had some issues and and one of the issues was i, I i'm so like I, I, I'm always like trying to like work. Okay, how to make it like as a comic? It's like the idea of like make it better, make it better, make it funnier. You can always you can tweak jokes for ten years. You right. Know what I mean, so this this play there was some stuff in it that I thought the writing wasn't that funny, and it just didn't work. And specifically, there's one line where um, it's about gays. It's about don't ask, don't tell in the military. This is like how old this was, two thousand three or whatever, and. Uh, the the guy asks my character the investigator he goes he goes have you ever uh, he goes is your bunkmate gay and my character goes as written he goes he never copped my knob okay which which is a weird thing to say in because I'm doing like a, a total hayseed accent so he never cop if you would say he never copped my knob you'd aspirate the t but you can't aspirate a T in that accent, so it's, he never copped my knob. It sounds weird. Right. You know, it, it never it really fly. phonetically worked. It also sounds like a mixed metaphor, like you cop a feel but copped my knob. I don't know. So I, it just never – he never copped my knob. And the next line he goes, he goes, have you ever slept with a member of the communist party, same sex, or a small animal? And then I take a beat and I go, define small because okay. he, cause yeah. he talks about having slept with a cow and all that stuff because so, um, he's a total farm boy. So it, it would it would work. It would get laughed, and I kept going like, "Man, I know that line. He never copped my knob. Isn't really. It, it just isn't hitting the ear right, right, you know." And I would try every different way I could, and da da da. And I felt like if I change that line to something phonetically smoother, it'll make the line define small, like like right. you know, you know how you're working on a joke and you hey, the you setup, tweak the setup, setup and, and then boom, and the punchline yeah. just kills it, yeah. So I knew that instinctively, and, and, and I felt that. And I'd been involved in like helping write plays and developing plays before. So I tell the playwright, I go, I go, I, I go let me just try this. Because my character is a sensualist. He's always like, oh, man, I'm eating this thing, and I'm, I'm going down on this girl, and blah, blah, blah. I go, can I try? He never gobbled my knob. Can I just try that at one point? Which is actually a very fun, much more funny line. Much funnier line. Because gobble is just a gobble's funny word. Gobble is a funny word. And knob. We, we say that. We gobble cock. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just funny. It's, yeah. it's, it's not like cop. No no, no one would say cop. I don't care. Farm boys say yep. what. No, a cop. You know, you're right. Cop he the copped my knob. Yeah, I never said that. He never gobbled my knob or whatever. I mean, we, there's anyway, He never touched the D. You know, right. anything but you want to say. gobble makes it a lot funnier. Funnier. Much funnier. So I said, th- meanwhile, I was, I was word perfect in this play. And Chad Lowe, God bless his heart, he was in the play too, and he's a nice guy, but he's a TV actor, and so he was paraphrasing everything, right? Everything was just like, close enough, you know? So I was word perfect, and I said, can I change this one word in the play? I want to change one word. Can I try? He never gobbled my knob instead of Kaufman. And he was like, oh, no, Bill, the play is perfect as it is. It's won awards. This guy was a jerk. And he was like, it's like, just trust the text, Bill. And I was like, okay, and I do another week. It's still not working. So I said, I said, just David, just give me one, one night, man. Right, right. One night, just to try it, just so you see. Okay, I'll give you one night. And so I do it. He never gobbled my knob. Ah, define small. Bam. Like I, I could have body surfed off the stage. Right. Next day, I get a phone call. Yeah, I'll turn it, put it back, Bill. Put it back the way it was. 
David, were, were you there? Yeah, did, did, did you, you listen? It's, it's like I still say the old comics who would sit there and go off stage and go, I killed. Were you in the same room? <laughs> Wait, how you, no, no one laughed. It's like you see it on Facebook. I rocked the stage. <laughs> I, my, I used to do this on stage. And open, I would stop by Flappers open mic and the comics would get mad. Like, yeah, I rock. I said, someone's going to put I rock the stage. I said, you couldn't rock the stage if you're two feet from the microphone with a boulder. <laughs> but it's the thing. It's That's the thing. It's like, does he, because he probably did, he's probably His ego, his, yeah, his ego, ego. Was, was, you know, and this guy's, you know, and whatever, he's a jerk and there's a, there's a reason why he's been sitting on the same project for 10 years because he anyway so um it and, and it told, i said david it works just just keep it no bill trust the text you can make it work uh, david it's it, why why, why you know, fight it and, it's and your project thought, don't you want like, it to be better all mad at me so um i was it, i was in such a bad space and then at one point they, and they just started messing with all sorts of different choices i had made like the type of under because I was walking around in my underwear and stuff like type of underwear I had to wear. You know, they told me I couldn't wear this. And just, just anything, just to kind of like, like I felt like it was to could take control of me. And 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 at one point they they hid my underwear without telling me, so I had no underwear for this one scene. So I just walked around free balling, you know, whatever. And then the next day I said something like, "Where you know why did you during the show? I said why did you hide my underwear at the stage manager?" She goes, "You know, you know what? You didn't follow orders, and you got a da 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 da." And she started like yelling at me in the middle of a show, and I was fuming. So she walks off, and I come to her. I, I, I go, "I go, don't talk to me like that in the middle of a show. If you want to talk to me, talk to me after the show about something." And then she said, "I'll say whatever the f I want whenever I want." And I said, "I said no, you won't. You stupid C." Right. So I called her the C word, which in the world of theater in New York is instant sexual harassment. Really? Yeah. The so minute you drop the C word, it's instant sexual. It's sexual assault, basically. So they basically were like, oh, my God. They, they fired me instantly. Never hearing my side. Ne never having a conversation about it. Just like, you're fired instantly because you call this girl a C. I'm like, do you realize she, she yelled you know, at during me? During my show. In it's the, like, in the middle of It throws you off scenes. your game. It's oh. like. It's un, it's you don't do it. It's like I used to work with one comic out of DC, and if you know if he got in an argument with his wife on the phone before the show, forget it. Every <laughs> woman look out because it was different from he was. I think his name was Roger Mercik. There's from like being a real nice guy mm -hmm. to then and that, the little guy, and then that, that makes it even worse. Where like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. and yeah, it's yeah. just you don't mess with someone in the middle of performing. Yeah. And it wasn't about anything that had to do with that show and something they needed to fix for then. It was something about like something that happened yesterday. So it, she was completely unprofessional. But you know, now I look back, I'm like, I'm an idiot because I should have just. What, what am I lashing? You know, what am I attacking her for? She's right. a dummy. She's a stupid fool. And, and you're on Broadway and, and now, and, and she's doing and, nothing. And, and well, and also, I'm I'm going into her drama, and meanwhile, I get fired from the play that I got the best reviews of my life for. And then all these people, all this industry that was coming to see me, you know, it's just like, oh, he's he's fired, right? So, so literally, like they they all disappeared. Everyone who's coming to see me. So it's kind of you know, and and I had people from Drama Desk Awards saying like, oh, you're going to get a drama desk nomination for sure for this part and blah 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 and then I get fired and you're kind of like and then you're also for a couple of years in New York you're kind of like ooh yeah exactly he said the C word guy. he said the C word yeah there's articles about it in the post about me getting fired there's, it, oh it really was, so it was, it was big stuff it was kind of big stuff yeah I mean um, what was the play called it's called Burning Blue okay yeah if you type Burning Blue there's an article it was called Naked Aggression <laughs> that was about me getting fired but anyway so so, but that was that was the the, the catalyst that made me kind of go, okay, I'm I'm sick of 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 the idea that playwrights are are these immaculate, you know, they're 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 gods and they divinely crap their script from their you know 
right. their butts and, and they go, oh my God, look at this hero. Oh my God. You know, who cares? Like, he's just an artist. We're all artists. We're all whatever you want to say. Artists, creative people. He's one creative. Actors are smart. Comics are super smart. And let me tell you something. Playwrights and directors and all these people, they're not any smarter. Directors were invented so that actors wouldn't get in fist fights. That's it. Yeah. And the funny thing is I, I had a sketch comedy troupe that ran this like eight years ago for a year in Hollywood. And I wrote and directed a show. I knew nothing about directing, but I knew when I wrote it, this is what it's supposed to look like. I knew from my yeah. comedy background, okay, this is what the character's supposed to be. My direction was, oh, can you say that line like that? Yeah. It wasn't, and it was good writing, but it's like, I didn't, I didn't need to go to school for that. It's like, I yeah, wrote yeah. this. This is what it looks like. Oh, wait, that's not working. I didn't go into like, put your mark here, mark there. Oh, you know, it's like, because you don't need to do that. Just say, here, here's the writing. Do your stuff. If you screw up, hey, yeah, you know what? Let's do it another way. Yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, and, and I've worked with, with lots of different writers and lots of directors. And, and whenever writers and directors pull the, pull the, the most successful writer directors are people who are like, oh, so what do you think? Do you like, do you, are you cool? Like, they're, they're collaborative. The yeah. pe- people who aren't collaborative, unless like that, they're that rare genius, which they're usually Eastern European or something. But unless you're like that rare genius, if you're not collaborative, you're just, you're, you're a crappy director, yeah. man. You're it's not like, good. Yeah, it's like the guest before, Maggie Wheeler, she was on an episode of Curb. She said, you know, David oversees that, someone else directs it, but it's like, he just laughs. He's like, yeah, do we do what you got to do? And the director's yeah. like, okay, well, you know what? We'll do it again. It's all improv. And that's yeah. that's the way a lot of times it, it is well done like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the guy, you know, the last Broadway show I get, this guy Tommy Kale directed. And Tommy Kale is, I mean, he's he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And he he just kind of, now he's directing episodes of Two Broke Girls and blah, blah, blah. But he's just always, he's always like, okay, yeah, try it. You want to, you know, in the middle, I mean, this is a Broadway show with tons of money behind, NFL behind, and you're like, I want to do this line. I want to say this. Okay, we'll try it. And then usually you try it and it'll work or it don't and you'll you'll know right away. Well, it's it's like that in comedy too. And it's like, if one line doesn't work, it's like, you know, one of the best things I started when I did comedy, someone said, if there's silence, that doesn't mean you're doing bad. I mean, if it's silent the whole time, (laughs) you suck. But there's a lot of times people may not get the joke and, or, and if, one line if you say hey let's do this line in a broadway play and if that one line doesn't work people don't leave going oh man i love this show until what the hell is that line people yeah, don't yeah, think yeah. about that and that's the thing that's where you can chance it yeah yeah and also you know and there 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 in in lombardi there's a part where uh my character i play paul horning with so, so, so wait so we'll, let's we'll go to lombardi real okay. quick. Now that, that was a play with uh with dan dan loria was played the dad and sullivan's son plays steve burns dad yeah he played Vincent Barty, and that was my third play with him. I'd done the Exonerator with him. I'd done another two hander with him. So he's 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 like a surrogate dad of, of mine in New York. So as a matter of fact, when I, I was the first person cast in Lombardi, and I called up Dan. I go, Dan, there's a great role for you in this play called Lombardi. He's like, Yeah, I've been doing readings for it for two years. They're holding out on Martin Sheen. Now, Fair. how how did you go from being you know getting fired from a gig? To getting to the point where you got another audition, where you actually got the first part for Lombardi, was it someone you knew, or was that they got you the audition, or how did it happen? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's I mean, not like it's not like when I got fired, I was completely persona non. I kind of did drop out uh, off the scene for a bit. I did some regional theater. I kind of had to like figure out what I what I wanted. Like, like why am I doing this? I'm doing all these th- these new plays, and all I'm doing is getting frustrated. So I started doing comedy. And so you started doing stand up. Yeah, so I now, started stand up. Where did you go? Where was the first club you went to? First club I went to, I think, was surf a place called Surf Reality on the Lower East Side. And it was kind of like a 
it was open mic, but they but they had some really good open mics in like um, and like this is like as two thousand five, two thousand four when I started, two thousand four I guess. So they had really good open mics, and um, and you would have like five minutes, and you'd go there, and they had like full crowds, and um, you know the first time I went on actually the first time I went on stage, my friend, who I don't know if he's a comic anymore, but uh, we'd gone to Princeton together, and he was kind of torn around with it and he kept and I kept saying oh, I should try it I should try it you know I should give it a shot and he'd been doing a lot of open mics and he was a very funny guy and he was like okay yeah you know let's I'll bring him down this open mic and he was kind of being like the kind of like I'll help you buddy and I go down this open mic and I bomb I mean I just bomb I thought like I was gonna <laughs> I thought I was gonna wing it right like hey man I'm funny I'm just gonna wing it meanwhile I still wasn't much of a talker I, I I'd never really written a joke before all I had was like physical comedy as my thing, so I thought I would do like a physical gag and bounce around and whatever. And and I bombed. I think I got one laugh, and the one laugh was like, oh, "That's something." So um, after I bombed, there I had two feelings. One was it's not so bad to bomb. You know, the, I, I think people don't do comedy because they're like, "Oh my god, what if I bomb?" Like, who cares? You yeah. bomb, you're like, it's not that big a deal. Well, it's funny as I said, a lot of acts that come on here that we always say the first time you do pretty good, the second time you bomb, and then you. you oh yeah. But a lot of times that happens. But then you figure, yeah, you know, like I, I did a show back east, and I I, and I, I tell because some comics go, oh, yeah, you know, they do it seven minutes, they think they're god. God. Yeah, I was yeah. doing a show in Bristol, Pennsylvania, Friday night show. I do a thirty-five minute set. I mean, seven minutes into it, I go, man, this crowd is not feeling me. And I, but yeah, got it. Busy. Next night, you'd say, oh well, I sucked last night. What are you gonna do? You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. Go, next night, you have, to, you have to go back. So you're gonna bomb. It's like anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bombed. The, I bombed the first. So first one was like, I, I bombed. Big deal. It's not like the movie Fame, where like the guys like you know you want to kill yourself. And then the second feeling was like, I don't want to bomb again. So I like Eminem did. I went home, got a microphone, the mirror, started doing jokes. You have to. I mean, you have to practice it. And I went back with my friend again, who was like, oh, it's okay, Bill, you know, uh, come on, you gotta keep going. And I murdered. I worked on these, get they're very physical gets, but they, but they, I actually, I even remember a couple of them, and I murdered. And uh, he sort of stopped being supportive. He <laughs> uh, stopped yeah. being my friend, you know, not surprisingly, and kind of stopped sort of helping me in any way. Um, yeah, which is ironic, because you suck, and everyone's like, oh, you're the, and then you start doing well, and they're like, well, he, you know, yeah, physical stuff. I had someone do that. I did an old joke at a show a few weeks ago. Old joke. You know, I don't care. I'm at Flappers. There's like 14 people in the audience. Now my act's very original. People know who follow me on Twitter. I tweet very original stuff. It's an old it's an old Bette Midler joke. Well, yeah, it's yeah. not a Bette Midler joke. Someone accused me on Facebook of stealing Bette Midler's bit. It's an old joke. It's like, yeah, I gave my girlfriend a dozen roses. She goes, oh, what? You expect me to be on my back all week with my legs wide open? I said, what? You know, the vase? And it's just sitting there, but I just told her because the crowd was, and I said, and the girl sits here and puts on Facebook this narcissistic fat bitch puts on Facebook I can't believe this person stole that joke from uh, Bette Midler so I sent her a message I said well first of all I probably stole from Henny Youngman <laughs> you know? and it's just amazing like that same thing it's like oh just worry about your act you know yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Just, like, if you're gonna nurture someone that's fine but like for you the guy turns to, into a dick because it's like oh, oh it's, it's hockey stuff hey you know for me it was an old joke you know what the crowd's there to laugh 
Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like I'm ripping people's bits off, and that's yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not right. And yeah. she's like, "Well, you know, we all try to write our own stuff." I'm like, "You know what?" I said, "I've written more jokes in a day. Yeah, I used to write for a website, write 35 jokes a day than you ever written." And she's on stage talking. Is about, she a comic? Yeah, she's and she's a, crap talking you on on Facebook as a comic. Yeah, she said she's she's on stage talking about how guys grab their balls when they talk. Oh, because we never heard that before. Oh yeah, no, no one's ever talked about that. But so so this guy's so you're doing comedy and you kill, and this guy then turns his back on you. Yeah, and, and he kind of stops. So I kind of um kind of kept plugging away i started to bring her shows at the old uh, gotham comedy club um my first paid spot was a was a prom gig now one of the things i started doing the minute i i started i said i should i'd seen the laugh factory i'd been to the laugh factory uh and like you know when i got out of school in like 99 2000 whatever and i was like oh man this place Maybe even when I was in school, like, oh, this place is so cool. I'd seen, like, Dane in, like, the late 90s. And and, and I was like, oh, this this is... And I, actually seeing Dane was one that a lot of people were like, dude, he reminds me of you when you're just out and about being a fool, you know, because he was doing a lot of physical comedy. I was like, hmm. Um, but I never thought about... I was going to... I never thought I was going to do it. Right. So, but when I when I started doing it and I started doing, okay, I was like, I'm going to audition at the laugh. So, I, you know, like, like back in, like... Um, 2003 you could still fly like for 99 dollars like, right across the country so um or like 150 so i would i did open mic auditions i did the old tuesday at the laugh factory wait in line and i would i would do it and they'd say come back in three months I'd, f- I'd fly back in three months do it da-da-da. and it, so i'd only be in a comedy about um six months when i met jamie and i just had the, one of these weird premonitions where jamie's like buddy you know how long you've been doing that and i said I've been doing it for for like a year now. I'd only been doing it for maybe five months, six months. And he, and he goes, he goes, buddy, I don't know if you're ready for showcase level yet. And I said, I said, Jamie, here's a deal. We're gonna work together. Like it's already gonna happen. Like I'm gonna be working here. Right. We're gonna be doing it. And, and it wasn't like I was like doing a hustle. I just felt it. I was like, this is my club. This is where I'm gonna work. It's the only place I want to work. So no, like just put me in. Put me in the showcase. And he looked at me like, hmm. I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I did a showcase, did really well. Then he gave me the next showcase, flew back. I'm going back and forth the whole time. And then I had like a, an eight-minute showcase, and he had a manager called David Tochterman who saw me, who was like, okay, you're great. I want, I want, I want to sign you to my management company. He brought Jamie to see me in a play with Dan Loria in 2005, I guess it was. Um, at that point, Jamie was like, yeah, I like going to work with you. At that point, they opened, and then right then, they opened the New York Laugh Factory. Okay. Is that still open? No, it closed. Okay. So, but that, but basically, that's me when I was like two years, like uh, a year in, a year and a half in. I, so I was emceeing like every show at the New York Laugh Factory because I was the only guy that he knew from New York. So I got really lucky that way. And that was, you know, that ran for like three or four years. And there were a couple years where it was really popular. You know, we'd have five sh- five rooms running a night. Um, I got to open for like Gaffigan, Greg Giraldo. Um, Louis C.K. I mean, just tons of people. I'm brand new to the scene, and I'm getting to be the MC. Right. Um, so that was it. So then that closed in 2008, 2009, and then I started. Uh, well, I toured with Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Masada hooked me up with Jamie Kennedy, so I toured with him for uh, like three, three and a half years, maybe. Okay. Um, and wrote for him, and then. Um, yeah, and then and then I finally said, you know, I should I should move out to L.A. because uh, I, I love the Laugh Factory. I like the the Hollywood Club. I have family. My parents moved out of here, so then I came out here about uh, four years ago. 
So you start, you know, you come out here, you're doing the comedy, and you're doing acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you did Criminal Minds, which, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was, you played a sheriff. <laughs> I, I saw that. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that you do that, you do those roles, and you kind of like, you care, and you put time into it, and you think about like what you're going to do and how you're going to say it. And then, then it, 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 the show happens. It's not like I look at it and go like, oh, I'm doing a bad job, but who cares? Like, I, I just, it's like, if, if, if you don't stand out as, as you suck, then you're doing a good job. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not doing. I mean, in my head, I'm 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 trying, and I'm thinking of backstory, and and I look at it, I'm like, okay, I don't suck, but there's nothing remarkable about what I'm doing right. either. But it's TV too, but and, it's all, and, yeah. and it's all written. You know, it's not. There's a reason why you're the supporting. Like the, the stars yeah, in the show yeah. are going to get the yeah. big thing. At the bottom line, is they're going to get captured, and people are going to think they're going to die, but they're not going to die because they just signed a five year contract. Yeah, and I always love that. Like Miami Vice, they'd be like Tubbs would be caught, and everyone's like, "Oh, oh no. Tubbs is good. no, he's not." I just read the season finales at the end of that, and Tubbs is going to be in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so okay, now how did the Hornet come? Uh, how did the the oh okay? Because now what year was so, it? what year did that run? Uh, that was 2010, 2011. Okay, now how did? Because now that must be because you're out here now, but you still own your place back there. So yeah, so I'm out in yeah. This is how all uh, all worked out. So I'm I'm out in L.A. and I moved to L.A. in 2009, and um, and I'm having a tough. I'm living in a little house in the Hollywood Hills that has a great view and it's perfect and little guest house, and I'm dating a model girlfriend. I've uh, you know, you're doing crunch, stand up. crunch fitness. I'm doing like two, maybe three spots in, uh, a week at the at the Laugh Factory and a couple other things here. And I'm feeling like okay, things are going things are going okay. Meanwhile, my 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 place where I live in the hills, I just feel way too isolated. I'm I'm losing my mind. I'm going stir crazy. I hate the gym. I'm going to crunch fitness. I have a crazy model girlfriend, and you know the Laugh Factory is still not really really part of the family for me for me yet. So. It's kind of like I'm kind of like you know you're miserable and you're thinking this and, and but you're like ah, no this is good this is good no I, I'm good and it wasn't until like later I look back I'm like wow man I'm surprised I didn't off myself um, but I got I got an audition an audition for the play came up out here out here uh, Tommy Kale the director had um, had seen me in this play I did with Dan Loria the same one that Jamie Masada saw called Ears on a Beetle the two hander play I did with Dan Loria in 2005 He'd that was seen in New me. York. Yeah, in New York. And they just came out to audition some people in L.A. for one day. Um, they weren't going to, but then they did. And I auditioned for the role of Paul Horning. The Golden Goat. No, what was his nickname? The Golden Boy, yeah. The Golden Boy. And uh, I guess they had, you know, so Tommy kind of knew me. One of the producers had, had known me from Williamstown Theater Festival years years before. I mean, not super well, but they'd kind of seen me. So I had one audition. I went in there. I did this one audition about how... Um, I say, man, the one time there was this dog, and it used to, you know, it talked about how, this, how Vince Lombardi yelled at a dog, and the dog ran, ran off the field. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very silly monologue. But I had this one audition, and I, you know, I'm done with it, and I don't hear anything, and then a month later, like, you got the part. I'm like, I got a part for a Broadway Right, it's like satin off of Broadway. Yeah. One audition. What theater was it at? Circle and Square. Same theater. That one, I know that same one Lombardi. Now, is Wicked there now? Is it? Uh, Wicked is in the theater next to it. There's, I, saw, there's, I saw the picture you posted yeah, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I saw Wicked. You know what? When my girlfriend first came out here, we watched Wicked. The first act was so damn long. I was like, you know what? I'm like, is it over? I didn't. I didn't really I enjoy it. it. I don't Girls get love it. Yeah. But I was like, and eh. kids. It's like I'm sitting there going. Eh, eh. Well, here's part of the problem with the with the, with the current play that we're doing, um, Bronx Bombers. Because I think, 
I mean, you have characters. You have these are the characters. Let's get that. I want to. We'll get that. Okay. I want to hear. I want to hear about the Hornig more because that's pretty okay. cool. Okay, so you're playing a legend, and Vince so, Lombardi's a legend. I'm sure there's people. It's. I mean, it's the NFL was behind it. I'm guessing. And NFL is, I guess, co-producing it. Yeah. So that, so there's it's a it's a big big ass role. I mean, you get you're getting a big ass role. It, it, it's, it's it's Broadway. It's I mean, you, it's a big you know, production. it's kind of like it. I guess it's the there's six. There's Judith Light, Dan Loria, Keith Nobbs, and three players. So six six roles. Um, of the three players, I'm the biggest role. Okay. Um, but Dan's the the big role. Keith and Judith, those are the three leads. So I'm kind of the fourth lead of it, sort of. Um, but it is definitely a role that if you don't do things to uh, distinguish yourself, it can just kind of like go under the radar. Like no one's going to notice it. You know what I mean? Now, how many nights was it? Was it every night? Or, Except for Monday, yeah. Okay, so you work six nights a week. Yeah. So that's sort of grueling, though, I've heard. I've heard, like, you know, you have to be pretty good. You can't be going out. You know, you have to be on ball. I mean, my friend who was in planning a, a Phantom of the Opera also did it here in Vegas, and he said, yeah, the cast would be going out and, you know, drinking and having fun. He goes, I couldn't because my voice had to be. I mean, Oh, was, yeah. Well, that's like, different because also singing is you have to keep your voice. I mean, you can you can wreck your voice as an actor and still manage. You so, know? You're, but, so you're in the play six nights a week. Now, yeah. it must be really cool because you're sitting there you, when you're walking down the street and there's a line out the front and you're going in to perform for them. It must be a really good feeling. Yeah, but the line at the front is for Wicked. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we did okay. We actually, actually, it was kind of this weird sort of, sort of hit. It ran for over like eight and a half months, which for a little play in that theater, which is a very tough theater, that's a long time. You know, plays usually don't run that long. That's why most plays are limited run only. It's their way of saying like, we're probably not going to sell that many tickets. Right. But we came this hit. It was the same year that Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl. They were the underdog. They won the Super Bowl. We were the underdog. We were the only play that survived like from the fall through the winter into the spring. Um, and then Tony nominations came out in May and we were just, you know, we got one Tony nomination. Judith Light got Tony nomination. She should. She deserved it. But, but the play I think deserved it, and Dan Laurie deserved it. But it's the theater. Just, but the theater. The people who vote for that stuff. The, oh, football. You know, it's the same thing with yeah. the play, right? They're not. They're not sitting there going, the play with the actor. Like, oh, football. That doesn't deserve. That'd be like, oh, yeah. what are they going to have a play on All Star Wrestling next? You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. It's the same attitude. It's like, oh, football is not part. It's like it's like in Philadelphia when they put the Rocky statue in front of the art museum because that's the great scene oh no no it's not art so they moved it in front of the spectrum and it's like screw you that's yeah yeah every, philadelphia is synonymous for rocky absolutely and the art museum you got more visitors running from people up running stairs, up stairs, and you know absolutely. those people went in to check it out then and that's the thing with the same as with Bro- uh, lombardi probably yeah 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 so and but lombardi lombardi got some got some pretty good reviews i mean one of the jokes that we had about lombardi it was kind of like it was like a theater goers dirty secret they'd be like uh you know i saw lombardi and uh I actually liked it. Right. You know okay. what I mean? Like it was like a dirty secret to be like a, a gay theater goer in New York and actually like Lombardi. But that was, but it was a well-written play. And I think that Judith was brilliant and Dan was great. And, 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 and the, I mean, the play has been produced like 40 times since then. So it has like real integrity. And so cut to, you know, Bronx Bombers, which no, so is, that was the same people, uh, not the same director, um, same writer, um, okay. The writer is actually directing this, and he's a, he's a great guy, and, and I, I can't say enough good things about him. But um, it's also hard to write and direct your, you know, you have a lot going on. And then he has producers who are saying, "Do this, do that." Do and the this. producers are kind of, you know, they're they're the creative when the producers created it, and she has her vision too. So so there's a lot, and the Yankees are involved. The Yankees are producing it. Well, as what's well. the story? What what is the basic story and a tagline of the Bronx Bombers? Well, the pr- the problem is this. The, the problem is, um, the, 
they kind of screwed the pooch, you know. Um, it, it, it could really, really, really work. And I don't know what the rewrite's going to be, but the basically the story is in 1977, as you may or may know, like uh, Reggie Jackson, Billy Martin had a fight in the Yankees dugout. Right, I, I remember. Most, I watched yeah. it as a kid. Okay, yeah. one of the most famous moments in sports awesome. that you'll know. But most people won't know because right. they're, most theater goers are not going to know about this damn fight. Martin pulled him over and was like, yeah. yeah. So I vividly remember it. I, I, I never liked baseball, so I, don't, I didn't see it. I don't, right. It didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I, oh, vaguely I remembered it. You know what I mean? Like vaguely. But uh, and I saw Bronx's burning, burning, I remember in that. But um, so it starts with that. The next day, it's a hotel room in Boston. And Yogi Berra who is the coach of the Yankees at the time, is trying to mediate between Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson with Thurman Munson there as the... You and know, you're Thurman Munson. Thurman Munson. You got to wear a mustache? Oh, yeah, it's great. Great. People, yeah. A lot of people don't recognize, don't realize I'm playing both roles. Okay, that's is, cool. That's, all, all, that's awesome. That's all, awesome. The best compliment. Like, now, now who, who's, uh, who's um, Yogi Berra? Yogi Berra is going to be Peter Scolari. I don't know if you... Oh, yeah, he, from, he, uh, from Bosom Buddies. Buddies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And he, he's gonna be, he actually didn't do the the off Broadway run we did. He's he's gonna do this and he's great, so I'm I'm really happy about that. And this guy playing Reggie Jackson is great, and this guy playing Keith Nobbs are all great. Um so it's 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 a great scene. And and, and the and the writer just kills it with it. He writes great there's because Billy Martin was this like coked out, crazy, Drunken, crazy drunken guy, yeah. died in the car pseudo, accident. Pseudo Texan wannabe and Reggie Jackson is just like super smart IQ 160 like educated black man and they're having and they're kind of both brilliant going back and forth each other but Reggie Jackson's also going to win that that fight you know and then Thurman's like this kind of like man I don't give a crap whatever you want Thurman do. was a hasty I've heard weird I've heard some crazy stories about him he, I mean he was just like so like he didn't, he didn't want to talk and hated Carlton Fisk Oh yeah, so hated funny. him yeah, I mean yeah. like unbelievably like one time I think one of them dropped a ball and threw out the guy at first place First base, just so he could get the record of the win the assist for a catcher, because it was Carlton Fisk or one of them, and yeah. they hated each other so much. And it's from that fight, they just hated yeah, yeah. each other. Yeah, because because Thurman was so like son of a truck driver and so like Midwestern, and, and Carlton was like this kind of like upper I, class, yeah. like you know, Bostonian or whatever. And he just was like, Arr. anyway. Um, so so it's a great scene. It knocks out of the park. Uh, no pun intended. And then the next scene, Yogi Berra goes back to his wife, Carmen. And, and it's like, I don't know what to do because the Yankees are falling apart. Billy's going to get fired. I feel like the whole legacy of the Yankees is going to disappear and all this crap is happening. And they have this kind of funny, sweet scene. And there's thunder and lightning. And then all of a sudden, you know, he has a... Uh, then you see Babe Ruth out the window and lightning, like, hey, yeah, kid. And then you're like, cut to, you know, that's the end of the first act. So basically, it's... A, next act is a dream sequence. Okay. Right? And basically, in the dream, he has all the old timers come... That he knew, he knew all of them. He knew Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, and you're Mickey Mantle. I'm Mickey Mantle, and then he. So in this, in this dream, he's trying to f- solve the problem of of what to do with this. Like, what does it mean, and how do we solve it? And in the dream, what you realize is that you know Lou and Babe had problems with each other. Uh, Mickey and Joe hated each other. Um, all through, all through, you know, Yankees history, part, part of the the conflict and tum, you know, tumult is is part of what like galvanizes people to make them amazing. You know, like the movie Remember the Titans, like all right. that conflict. So that's part of the idea. And then, and then, the, and then it should be at the end of the dream. Yogi solves the problem. Like I know what to do. I know how to handle George Steinbrenner. I know what to do. Cut to two thousand eight. It's kind of like a denouement, and he's like. 
hey, what, how do you fix that problem, you know, back in 77? Yogi's still around, and Yogi's like, you know, I got some good advice from some friends. They have the closing Yankee Stadium. It's end of play. That's, that, that really should be what it's about. The problem is in the dream sequence, Derek Jeter shows up. Yeah, that's what I saw when I read a little thing online. It said the casting, and it said Jeter. I'm like, Jeter doesn't fit in. No. A, a, the Jeter wasn't even born when that happened. No, you know, and 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 the the writer who's who's brilliant is is trying to you know he's trying to negotiate it so that the dream is actually a dream from two thousand eight that he had, um, and then you find that out later in the two thousand eight scene that the dream was actually from two thousand eight that we'd just seen, but you know, and what I'm trying to enforce to the writer and producers is like people's minds don't work backwards right they work forwards you know in a movie you can do it because you can have flashbacks and show the flashback and have a monologue with a flashback and remember this scene and da 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 if you don't have those flashbacks when the big reveal happens at the end six cents whatever it is no one's gonna know you can't just say it oh i've been dead the whole time moving on what well oh you know you need you need to lay it out but you can't lay it out in a play so when does that open it was in january it opens in February. Okay. So I know that, and I'm and I'm definitely a squeaky wheel. So I've been just like, man, I'm begging you, get rid of Derek Jeter in that scene. Get rid of it Because it doesn't Jeter. make sense. That's when I looked at when I just looked at the casting stuff to see about the play. I was like, yeah, what the hell is Jeter doing there? Because I didn't know what the play was about. But yeah. then now, now even saying, I'm like, yeah, Jeter wouldn't be there. Because you have, you know, because the dream comes in, and then Lou Gehrig's the first show up. Well, Elson Howard's the first show up, and you're like, okay, this is still 77 because Ellie was around then. You're like, okay, cool. And then Lou Gehrig shows up, like, okay, this is weird. And then Mickey and Joe show up, you're like, okay. And then Babe shows up, you're like, okay, I get it. This is a dream right. of all these people from the past coming. I get it. This, this is awesome. And then later, Jeter shows up, and people are like, people are like, What's going on? Yeah, what's and then yeah. So now, now, how how when are you moving back there? Um, uh, I don't know. I think in a couple of weeks. Now, how long what, is there a big rehearsal schedule before the play? Do you have to go rehearse a lot, or what's that whole process? Um, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly. I think it's going to be. I know they're doing state. They're doing readings second through the fifth, and I've and I've you know I've begged. I've I, I think the problem is is that you know. Here's the problem, and I'm definitely not going to promote this to people in the, in the play. The problem is this. They want to make it a family-friendly f- play, and and that's why they want to have Derek out there in his uniform so the kids can make that Derek Jeter. I know right. Derek Jeter. But you don't get word of mouth from eight-year-olds. You know exactly. What I mean? Who gives a crap if you have an eight-year-old. First of all, we should not, we should not have eight-year-olds in the show it at should, all. And they shouldn't be – that's too late for them. They should be in bed. Yeah. A, a they should be – it's too late. They should be in bed. Be like that. That's not what creates a good piece of theater. Is making it family friendly, right? So they're gonna. They, so meanwhile, Mickey Mantle, who is you know, by the way, c- could be the best role I've ever done in my life, but it's not being written that way. It's being, and I beg him. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, you. I go, you want? I go, I'll get you a Tony nomination, dude. I'll get you a Tony nomination, but you got to give it to me. You don't leave me stranded because right now, man, I'm stranded. Right. And, and and not because the writing is bad or anything like that, but they're making it family friendly. And I'm going to tell you, Mickey Mantle was is a, not family friendly. He, he was, was hard drunk. drinking. Yeah, he was a philanderer. He was uh, he was so confused, tortured about being a father, tortured about being a husband, tortured about baseball, his injuries, his the fact he never lived up to his potential, his legacy of Babe and Lou and and Joe. He had all this stuff going on, and he hated being a hero. And kids would be like, "You're my hero." You go, "Why the hell am I your hero? I hit right. a damn ball." Yeah, it's and he and he, he he was the most tortured individual in the world, and they're trying to make him here. The only reason he was a hero is because he survived all of his injuries, and finally, towards the '60s, he was able to appreciate 
uh, you know, the, the the crowd and the fans. He's right. finally yeah. able, but he was booed for most of his career because yeah, it's just it's crazy. But I said, so now, how long is how, is it set for? How long it's going to run? No, but it's not going to run that long. I'm telling you. So, but then you're going to go back. You're going to do that, and then then. I mean, it could be. It could be. You know, they they they're they're anticipating run of like you know six months or more. Okay. And I'm thinking that if we, if we're lucky and if changes get made to this play, you know, God willing, it could run six months. Now, do you enjoy doing a play for that long? Because it's the same thing. Or do you sometimes in the middle get a little bored of it? Because you're a comic, and you know you can always change material doing a comic, doing comedy. But do you ever get bored in a little bit? Or if it's a really great role, you won't wouldn't get bored. Well, I think that you know, luckily in the play, we have we have moments where. And the cast is great, and everyone's awesome, and we're all—they're all fun. Everyone's really fun. There's, there's no like mm, sticks in the mud. So there are moments in the play where we get to kind of, because there's a dinner scene, and so we get to have a lot of fun, kind of like with the looseness of, of like little ad libs and okay. sidetrack and stuff with food and and playing with each other. If if it weren't for that, the fact that we couldn't play with each other and have a little bit of variety in that, I, I yeah, I'd want to kill myself. Did you get Did you get bored during the Hornig during the Lombardi? Um, not not really. Uh, at one point, I got dumped in, in that play, and I, and I was for about two months. I was on stage where I, I might as well have been on Cats. You know what I mean? I was just like spouting off my lines, and my brain was somewhere else. Um, so you can do that. You can literally just check off and go on stage, right? And just be like on autopilot. But that's not really fun. Um, so yeah, it's always fun to keep. I, I feel like as a comic, because I am a comic and you know a dancer and performer, I can keep things always kind of a little bit loose. You know, so Lombardi was loose, and this thing is pretty loose, and it's great. And I hope that they, um, you know, they we find a way to like make it the perfect play. Any uh, comedy before you go get at her out in the LA area? Oh yeah, I'm at the Laugh Factory every week. You know, I'm usually there like three or four nights a week. Um, between there and the Long Beach Laugh Factory. Uh, my friend Darren Carter goes up to Long Beach a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him. I work with him all the time. And uh, Raj, Raj Sharma has been working. Yeah, Raj, yeah. Raj was on the show. It was so funny. His mother had died like three weeks before he did the show. I got. I was back east. I came back. I got a call the morning that my father passed away. Oh wow! And I did my show, and we just talked about our parents passing. It was very interesting. It's just very. It's weird. He, Raj is a great guy. Yeah, very, great very guy. funny. Yeah, very funny. So that's cool, man. So, so any any acting things coming up besides anything? Can we see you on anything right now? Any movies we can rent you? In? Criminal Minds. I. I mean, I have. I have stuff. You know, look. If you want to really, if you want to really help me out, go go, go on Amazon buy Even Hand. Even Hand. It's a movie that I starred in. I helped. Uh, helped create. And helped write, and um, it's called Even Hand. You can get it on Amazon. I did a couple kids' films. Yeah, that's um, cool. For your children that are both terrible. And did um, you do all my children? I did all my children. I did. I hope if you get if you buy, I hope they serve them beer, beer and hell. So get residual checks from that. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've done like a bunch of little things here and there over the years, and um, and I'm I'm going to start shooting a film, another film in December in New York. So uh, that'll be good with Michael Raspoli and Annabelle Sciori. Um, I love her. Yeah, she's great. I had such a crush on her. So and Rispoli years. is so funny because uh, uh, who was on? Oh, Louis, Louis Lombardi was on, and him and Rispoli are good buddies. Oh yeah, yeah. Because we were talking about, we, I saw a Law and Order where they spelled it wrong. It was like it said uh, Rispoli. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, that's got to be Rispoli. I think maybe he did before he changed his name. This was a yeah, old yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's cool. So, so the comedy you're doing a lot now. Now, do you, do you ever go on the road doing comedy? Uh, after I stopped touring with Jamie, I kind of. You know, I, I've definitely been on the road. I, I, I've done a tour of Marine bases 
a bunch and I love it. And uh, if the headlining money is good enough, I'll I'll definitely do it. But I haven't really been doing it much recently. It's it's gets it's it's changed a lot. So it's not like it's not like the glory days. It's just a lot. Yeah, different. yeah, yeah. So give give everyone your uh, your 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 Twitter, your uh, okay. website, all that stuff. Give them all that stuff. It's very easy. <laughs> website builddaws.com. Spell it. People always know it's D A W E S or D A W Z. B I L L D A W E S. B I L L D A W E S dot com. My Twitter is at Bill Dawes. My Facebook is Bill Dawes. And Instagram is Bill Dawes. I want to thank you for coming on. It was good. I'm glad you can make it because we had talked a while ago. And, uh, and so, yeah, so people check his stuff out. Also, well, listen, next week I have uh, uh, Terry Nunn, the lead singer of Berlin, and an uh, actor named Dan Bakadon. Bakadal, who is uh, the, the albino in the heat, and he's also on the show Veep, and he's on Legit. Uh, send me an email, cooper at indie100indie100.com. I'll respond to it. Follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. Also, go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can type in Cooper Talk one word. I have about 202 episodes up there. Or you can go to my website, coopertalk.net, and I have 200 same amount of episodes up there. And I don't have any shows coming up because I'm recording this as well, Air Wednesday. Tonight, actually, it's Tuesday, though. I'll be at Michael's down the street. But I want to thank you for listening. And uh, you guys, be careful out there. Have fun. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, when you wake up in the morning, drink your water, take your vitamins, and throughout the day, eat your vegetables and be healthy, campers. Anyway, it's time for me to get lunch. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.